Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is our own pianist in residence, Sam Page. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. We're especially happy because we have an exciting situation going on today. Because Sam, after all these weeks and months of teasing us with it, has finally released his new album. Yes. And we're going to hear, we're going to be among the first people in the world to hear a song from this new album. So first of all, Sam, congratulations, guy. You put Thank it out you. there. Thank you. I'm very grateful to be able to put music out into the world because that's been something I've been wanting to do for ages. <laughs> yeah. This, and how, this has been a project in the works for quite some time. How, how long have you been actually working on getting the, you know, the setting up the studio time and, and re- writing all the, the, the songs and all that kind of stuff? This has been going on for a while. I recorded everything about three months ago and everything. And mm-hmm. then there's just a lot of like some, some uncertainty and not knowing exactly how to put it out. So it's been a whole journey in itself, but very yeah. grateful that it's out now. And I plan on doing, uh, doing more in the near future. So we'll see. that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And, and were, were these all improvised? Did you write these out in advance? What are these? Are they, tell, tell they us a little bit about mostly, it. Mostly improvised. Like, <laughs> I, I, for about two thirds of them, maybe I had at least an idea as to what I wanted to do. And then I did those first. And then once I was done, I just did some like completely off the cuff improvs. And there's like three or four of those. Okay. All right. And uh, the name of the album, Arca Charger, where does that come from? <laughs> it's my username on social medias. And I was going to make it my ah. stage name, but then I decided not. And it's just kind of something that came to me. And I call it part of the language of my people. It's kind of like, I want to say it's something related to spirituality, but I can't fully explain it. Well, <laughs> if you can't explain it, then the least you're going to have to do is tell me how to pronounce the name of the first song, because I'm not sure that oh, I can get that one right. That's <laughs> Oman- fair. That's also in what the is same. It? Omanas- you got Omanaskadi. Omanaskadi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> try, try not to. Yeah. All, oh, all over the place. I think one of the titles is in French, too, and then the rest are just normal words. <laughs> and, and, and where did that title come from? What, what's the inspiration behind that name? I, I, that's just like something that downloaded to me, like kind of just syllable, like the sounds and syllables kind of came to me one time when I was Hmm. meditating and then I just formed that word and I kind of, the energy I was getting from it was like that of like a new beginning or rebirth. Oh, okay. (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, then that, that seems like the appropriate tune to play from uh, the first, it's the first track on the album. So, I mean, that, that's, that sounds you, know, good you to me. Yeah. the first track, right? But, but let's, uh, so I'm going to do a little screen share here so that, uh, everybody can hear this. Woo. And, uh, are you excited? I believe so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are too. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do a little screen share and play. What's, you got to pronounce it again for me. Omanoskity. 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 <laughs> yeah, I Sam Page. Oh yeah, well, you know, you know you know me, I can butcher anything, right? <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh.
Oh. That oh, was well, thank beautiful. you for sharing that. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. All right. And uh, listeners can get a hold of the entire album, I imagine, through Apple Music. How else can Apple, they? Yeah, Apple Music, Spotify, pretty much any okay. music streaming platform imaginable. I found a service that like puts it to all of them, including several I haven't heard of. So. Yeah. That, well, that's the way it is in the podcast world, too. There, there are podcast oh, yeah. platforms. We're on there and like, huh? Okay. How did we get there? <laughs> it works, works for me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Arca Charga, um, A-R-G-A space C-H-A-R-G-A. And by S-O, or just it might look like so, page, P-A-G-E, because by first and middle initial. Because interestingly enough, there is already a Sam page and an Oliver page, which Oliver's my middle name on Apple Music. Ah, okay. So you're trying to differentiate yourself. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whatever works. You you ought to consider Samuel O page. Hmm. Perhaps so. I can always I like evolve. That. Artists do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I, I think that would be a distinctive name. I'll take well, it. since it is your name, it's also dis- distinctive that way too. But I mean, in terms of the performance world, that, that would be a right, right. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps we shall see. I'm young. I'm young in my little career here, if you want to call it that. So. Well, it's off to a great start. Congratulations on the release of your first album. This is so Thank exciting. You. Thank you for sharing it with us today, too. I mean, that's really special. I'm happy to have done so. Oh, we're happy that you did. And we're also happy because, once again, we have a special guest joining us today. And this special guest is really special because it's really late where she is. She's in Austria, and she's connecting to us from Austria today. Her name is Andrea Lukacs. And she her. is she is an NLP practitioner, an NLP coach. She's a hypnosis coach. Uh, she's a psychological counselor. And she's here to share with us some of her, her own personal stories of, of her own journey and some of the expertise that she has acquired along the way. So, Andrea, first of all, good morning or good, late, late good evening, I guess it is. And, and second of all, thank you for joining us on the show today. How are you? Thank you for inviting me and having me uh, with you today. Um, I, it's a pleasure being with you. Um, I'm a psychological counselor, and it was not always uh, th- that way because I'm coming from the field of economics and uh, economics. And um, I was like 90% of people uh, out there who were waiting uh, for change until the pain was strong enough that mm-hmm. I yeah. um, uh, decided to t- uh, do something about it. And um, it's um, most uh, that uh, we act out of pain and not out of pleasure. But um, if we know that it, it's that way, so it's maybe better to decide to act out of, of pleasure than out of pain. <laughs> yeah, I would say that a lot of people would agree with that one for sure. Interesting that you come from the world of economics because economics – is it's not usually a pleasure-filled domain. It's usually talking about how to deal with, you know, fluctuations in the marketplace and how to deal with unemployment or inflation or all this other There's not a whole lot of happy stuff going on in economics, right? I mean, that's just the nature of the beast because you're dealing with, with, with a, an entire social science that starts from the premise of economic scarcity and builds from there. That, that that's not a formula for feeling great all the time. 
but you are working with people, with clients, and uh, if you can connect with them, you may find your pleasure as well. Ah, okay. So the trick then is really to find where the good stuff is, where the happy stuff is around whatever it is that you're doing for a living. Such is life, really. Such life, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we all get... have our values and desires and needs, and if we oh, can yeah. meet them in whatever we are doing, we are beautifully fine. This is true, very true. Now, how did you get interested in NLP? Uh, so I, I began uh, studying the field of psychological counseling, and it's a long-term education. And on the way, I uh, learned NLP, first became a practitioner, master, and uh, soon after that, I decided to become a trainer as well. And um, by going more deeper into neurolinguistic programming, uh, I found the field of hypnosis very interesting and wanted to understand the subconscious mind, which is... Uh, um, much bigger than the conscious mind, so, uh, <laughs> and is uh, where our habits are, and which is uh, regulating our day-to-day lives. And if we want to change it, we have to understand where thoughts come from and how we can go into the process of change. And so, um, when I started to see first changes and uh, life. Uh, was uh, becoming so different, so new, so so lighter, so um, transformed, uh, I decided to change the arena of my professional work. Very good. And, of course, when you're talking about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, you're talking about a method, a methodology, really, that evolved for the purpose of helping people who would be doing work on themselves, but would get stuck doing that and find that they couldn't get past the stuckness. And the NLP approach was designed to help them get past, to help people get past whatever it is, is, is that, that persistent tape, as we often call it, that tape that just keeps playing in your head that you can't get rid of. So it makes me wonder, it makes me think that when you first became an NLP practitioner, you did it Probably for a reason similar to the way most people do, which is you were you were trying to help yourself first and foremost. Am I am I right about that? Yes, yes. And in the process of 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 um, learning how it worked, then you realized, oh, okay, this is something great that I want to share with a lot of other people because I imagine you got some pretty good results out of it. So um, if it's used uh, properly and um, there's a guideline to it, um, um, results are very fast. So if we learn how to anchor certain states and uh, we can recall them like that uh, within seconds and change the whole state in our body, which uh, gives us a total um, different mindset, um, a more uh, um, lighter feelings, uh, we can go out of a stuck state quite easily. And there are other methodologies uh, where we, which we can use to uh, bring un, uh, conscious patterns to the conscious and transform them and bring them back into the subconscious. So that's a, a 
pretty interesting uh, arena. Mm. And it's not just about that. So it's uh, about how words are working with uh, humans and how we can use them. Um, so, but the state change is something really where we condition, uh, or it's not, it, it's a conditioning process, but, uh, we have a shortcut where we don't need to practice a certain state, uh, longer as it will be usually necessary for our learning process to be able to connect to it, but we can install it as we call it in our language and recall it whenever we need it. And when we see that we are in a stuck place or nothing is going um, in a direction we need it. So, uh, we can find the easy uh, exit point much easier and uh, go back into a satisfied, happy um, uh, state where we are um, more in a position to think differently, more openly, not influenced by limiting beliefs, which uh, we humans um, mostly got from somewhere. In mm-hmm. our childhood, uh, everything we observed with our five senses and, um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a very effective, uh, technique too, but well, uh, that when you combine it with other methodologies, such as hypnosis and other processes, it, it becomes even more effective. Um, and I know that from personal experience, one of the things that I find most fascinating about this whole field of, of NLP hypnosis and so forth is that it's, it, it seems to be a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It seems to be an adjunct to what I consider to be the primary process. And I'm going to be curious to see what your take is on this. My take is that the primary process is building mindset because I believe that mindset really just drives everything and that, you know, modalities like NLP hypnosis, um, other psychological, uh, factors, are designed ultimately, in my view, to support the building of mindset. That's not necessarily the way they're always presented, but in my view, that's the way they actually play a role in everyday life. But what you mentioned mindset, when you think about mindset, what does that mean to you? And, and, and what is the level of importance that you apply to the concept of mindset? So I want to start with the importance and it's, uh, I will say about 80% is mindset and 20% uh-huh. is st- strategy or knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, um, if we have a goal, um, and we set, uh, let's say a goal or set a new belief or however we want to, uh, call it, um, there will maybe something come up within us and uh, that are these limiting beliefs. And so I would not suggest to ignore them because they are influencing us in a certain degree and uh, hold us back of acting. So sometimes um, there is a point we don't need to empower ourselves, but if a limiting release can, uh, belief can be released, uh, we are the new belief and we go out and do it. And if we are able to do it and to bring it into reality, so, um, there sometimes, um, uh, has to be found this way of, uh, when do I need to empower myself and uh, where is a limiting belief, which needs to be released or let go. Uh, first, before we go in further steps. 
Mm-hmm. And you said that mindset is 80% of it. Why do you think mindset plays such a big role? Why, why is mindset such a big deal? Um, because um, our subconscious mind is uh, ruling uh, not just uh, which thoughts come up into our awareness, but also uh, what we can see, hear, feel um, in the outside world. Uh, it's um, so like uh, we are looking for different filters and if we can release them, we see more clearly, we uh see with um that's a high goal but uh, we want to reach it to see it with uh the eyes of the universe to see whole reality because oftentimes we are just seeing a little dot it's like a little uh stamp on a big football field so <laughs> we think that we see reality and uh are aware of it, but um, most likely we see through our old beliefs, through our programming, through our patterns, and that's where we want to make some clarity about. Yeah, it's interesting. We live in a, a this huge universe. It's immeasurable in size. It has this little tiny galaxy that we live inside, which is a mammoth-sized galaxy. We live on this planet within this galaxy. And where's our attention? It's focused on this one little thing that I'm working on my on my notepad right now. That's the level of focus that we're dealing with. <laughs> it's kind of ironic when you think about it. You got this whole thing going on. Yep, I want to worry about what's on the notepad. <laughs> right. Uh, but... Like- uh, perspective. (laughs) Yes, and that's a great topic, this perspective, because uh, if we ask uh, three persons who attended one situation, and how often does it come that uh, each person is telling us a different story? Oh, yeah. Mm. Right. All the time. But they were at the same moment, Mm -hmm. in the same situation, present, and they observed the situation totally different and um, to understand how our perspective uh, goes with the focus and is connected with the filters we see so we can find the answer in here. The perspective is one of my favorite topics as well, in part because I do a podcast and I have guests on all the time. I have my co-hosts. All of them are bringing a wide range of perspectives, which I love. I mean, there's also quite a bit of commonality. Most guests who come onto the show know the general topic that we uh, are all about in in a sort of a broad sense. So there's going to be that level of commonality. But even so, everybody brings such a different perspective. And in those different perspectives, I found over the years, I have just learned so much just by interviewing people or sharing things with co-hosts and and just picking things up day by day, episode by episode. So I, I have a really strong appreciation for, for just how powerful perspective is. I'm not sure that everyone out there in the world truly gets how big it is, but it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, I think. And those who don't get it, that's just their perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Trying to appreciate other people's perspectives, even if it's not one that you would normally share. Right, right, exactly. Can be quite fascinating. It's and it's a challenge too. That that's really what's at the root, I think, of dealing with a lot of the uh, limiting beliefs we end up with. 
I mean, it's great uh, that we have the tools like NLP, like hypnosis, other tools that help us get into the subconscious mind to deal with them. But ultimately, what we're really trying to do is to deal with the beliefs themselves and find a way to stop thinking about them the way that we're, that we're thinking about them, to think right. about them differently. I imagine that's, that's a pretty big part of what uh, you encounter when, you, when you're uh, in your practice working with clients, right, Andrea? Yes, because every person uh, comes from a different place. And for me, the highest goal is to pick the person up where they are right now. Mm. And it's uh, necessary to lead them to where they are. Do, so do you find... Oh, just go yeah. ahead. No, no, go ahead. In in some processes, uh, there are generali- uh, generalizations which are, which are valid for a lot of people. But if we want to pick up a person and bring them, we have to look very individual in their own belief system, in their experiences which have uh, created them, and in their own biography. Mm, yeah. Now, of course, given that everybody has different perspectives and brings those different perspectives, like you mentioned, there are some commonalities. Do you, are there certain patterns that you see a lot among your, your clients, certain things that keep pop, cropping up over and over again that a lot of people share in common, even though they do have the different perspectives? Yes. Yeah, so we kind of realize it when they use words like I cannot, um, I have to, uh, in different wording, but uh, meaning like uh, I'm not allowed to. Mm-hmm. So that will be such signal words that here is something hidden. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's almost like we're talking ourselves out of it, but we're treating it like it was somebody else who was talking us out of it. Right? Maybe uh, these are words we heard when we were children and, yeah. and cannot remember them uh, anymore. Yeah, it can come from a wide range of, of possible sources. I, I'm always fascinated by how, I'll, I'll speak for myself, in my own experience, how I will bring up a pattern of some kind, a, a thought pattern. Because we humans, we, we, we follow the same patterns day after day. They, they say that, you know, researchers tell us that we have 60,000, 70,000, 90,000 thoughts a day. But they're almost all the same thoughts that we had yesterday. And the day before that and the day before that, we, we are very repetitive with the thought processes that we have and with the, uh, the, the things that we give our attention to. Um, and surely a lot of that gets very deeply ingrained into our conscious and subconscious minds. So that's where the limiting beliefs becomes kind of stuck. But there are a lot of them is my point. There, there are like a bunch more than I mean, we we're always trying to find here's the root one. This is the one that's giving me the hard time. But do we really give attention to the fact that we have a lot of them going on and there are a lot of them that need to have attention? Yes. Yeah, so energy goes where the focus uh, goes and right. uh, that's uh, uh, the thoughts we uh, can realize most uh, easy in the most easiest way. Um, but um, um uh, some uh, can be like their own observer and observing the thoughts by asking how they are thinking, and f- but uh, not just the thinking. We can detect it by our feelings. Um, yeah. How are we feeling? Um, how are we really feeling? And um, I believe in personal change and development. There is. Um, it is essential to be true to oneself, not to 
um, imagine something which not is not here, which is maybe good if we want to attract a new situation or create something new that uh, we use some imagination. But um, if we want to go forward and uh, get a real reality results, we have to have a look on how we are really feeling and thinking because here's, uh, we can uh, change it and just by becoming aware uh, of what's going on. That's an interesting phrase you're using, what we're really feeling, what we're really thinking. And the reason I say that's an interesting phrase is that I think very often we try to convince ourselves we're feeling something different or we're thinking something different. I, I, I'm thinking back, for instance, when I was in my 20s, I was, it, uh, this is a, a topic that came up in a different context earlier this week. But if you had asked me when I was in my 20s whether I was self-confident, I would have said, oh, yes, absolutely. But looking back on it, I can now see I actually lacked a great deal of self-confidence. And yet in the context of that time, I thought I was telling the truth. I thought I was telling you what I was actually experiencing when I really was not experiencing that. I was experiencing something else. It's like that, that's, a, that's quite the thing, you know? Well, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, because I can relate to it. It's like you're telling what you believe to be the truth. But something that you had said around in that same like sentence or so is just awareness of how you're feeling. And I think that ties in with what Walt was just saying too. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness. And I, I don't want, I don't want to treat it like we're, we're deceiving ourselves. I mean, that's one way you could uh, look at it. I want to look at it in a slightly different way. It, 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 it's being in connection with what you're really feeling and coming to grips with it as opposed to trying to find a way to spin it into something else. Mm-hmm. Have you ever observed uh, people out there who are in such a body posture and if you ask them, how are you feeling? Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the body language and uh, the feelings does not match because um, due to neuroscience, uh, we know uh, that we cannot feel... Um, happy if we are in such a body posture and we cannot feel sad if we are in an upright position so we can use the body um, to influence the feelings um, as we can use the mind to influence the feelings and um, we can enter through different doors and uh, for me then it should be coherent every piece should be matching and not um, how could I explain that? If my voice is telling something different than my words um, and my body is telling something different, so something is not clear in here and we are sending an unclear message. And uh, people can feel that due to some um, neurons. And uh, what then happens is that uh, a great amount of confusion arises because Mm. um, they feel that something is wrong, but pay attention to the words and uh, they just have a feeling of... mm. Yeah. Although uh, they are often... Yes, and and they are not always aware, but but, uh, deep within them, they can feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, listeners, of course, couldn't see it. Sam and I could see it because you were demonstrating by kind of crouching over and closing yourself oh, yeah. up. And, and that's what you were talking about when people, when you said people are in this, this certain position. Uh, but it's really an evocative 
pose because how often, I mean, I, I, every single day that I go out from one of my walks, I see somebody out in the path and just the way that they're walking on the path tells you what kind of experience they're having in their lives. You can just see it. You see, are they smiling? Are they frowning? Are they staring down all the time? But there are people who walk right by me. They don't even know that I'm there. They're just so focused on the one piece of concrete right in front of them. That's it. They're done. <laughs> and that there are other people who are walking along and they're looking around. Oh, hi, how are you doing? It's an entirely different experience just walking past those people. So you're right. Yeah, the body language is amazing in terms of what it can tell us. And it's not just body language, is it? I mean, it's also tonality, for instance. What's the tonality of your voice as you're, as you're talking or as you're conversing with somebody? Tonality can tell us a whole bunch about how you're really feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm having a great day, yeah. <laughs> it's very convincing. It just, it, it doesn't quite match. <laughs> it doesn't quite look like the same mood, but it tells us volumes. That's that's part of the trick, isn't it, in terms of trying to work on your own mindset, coming to grips with what signals we're giving out mm-hmm. to the world. And, and, and we get clues because the world reflects them back to us. That's the other thing that's really kind of cool. But the, the world is almost like our mirror it just kind of tells us, you know, here's what you're really thinking. Here's what you're really feeling. It can, it can actually be a shock sometimes. Yes, and if you have dogs or pets, you will realize it as well. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they let you know real fast. <laughs> my, my cat won't, well, I have two cats, and, and one of them, he won't come near you if he senses there's, there's anything even remotely wrong. If he, if he wow. feels that you're feeling good, he'll come right up and rub against you. How you doing? Pet me. Let's play around. But if he sees there's anything, he's off. He's running into the bushes. He's done. <laughs> he's not going to so have anything to do with you. So he's kind of a vibe check, if you could. He's a vibe check, yes. That's right. <laughs> and very good at it, I might add. We we call him the neighborhood ambassador because he's always the one out, you know, introducing himself to all the neighbors. Hey, how you doing? Meow, meow, meow. Come over, pet me. Oh, Until, you know, one of the neighborhood kids comes over. Oh, a cat. I'm going to run after the cat. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> that's just the kind of animal he is. But, yeah, it, it, it's instant, instant feedback that he gives you everything you don't have to wait right we're we're not talking like 10 minutes from now you know right now how you how he's feeling about you and therefore how you're feeling about you there you go yeah it's pretty powerful stuff i love that but it's not just animals is it? i mean humans andrea i mean humans are constantly giving us uh input we don't necessarily read it as input but they're giving it to us yes and we are realizing and picking it up on a subconscious or deeper level. Uh, so I believe that we humans are also vibrational beings and sending out some energy with our thinking. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. And not just our thinking, with our being. I mean, oh, yeah. every motion we make, every thought we have, every everything that we do. I mean, it, we're just vibrating on every possible level that you can vibrate on. It's... And to think, I used to think that we were all just kind of, you know, set in stone. <laughs> like we didn't see that. That's literally where I thought that humans were. We're, this is the way that person is always that way. That, that was my mindset. This person is always this way. That person's always, that person's always happy. That person's always sad. That person's always angry. I mean, which is often true by the way, but, but I made it 100% of the time. It was kind of a shock when I found out they actually had multiple dimensions going on in their lives. <laughs> 
<laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew, right? <laughs> or this, um, when people say that's, but that's me. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. realizing that, uh, there is, uh, a belief system which created their identity and uh, that they are owning their lives when they uh, take 100% responsibility of them, uh, of oneself. But how often do we search a failure in our environment or judge others and don't have a look on where is my part here? Mm. Yeah, all, a lot of the time, for sure. And, and when, when we're looking at the outside world, trying to find solutions there, that I think is where we really cement the limiting beliefs. Because since we're not really looking inside, we're not really, really looking at our own behavior, our own patterns, our own thoughts and so on and so forth. We're trying to ascribe, you know, here's a result I don't like. And it must be because of what that person did or because of this circumstance or because of, you know, what that group over there did or what that sign said. It's never what's inside us. It's never, we, we don't go there. We're not the ones, which is odd really, because in our self-talk, we beat the crap out of ourselves. But when it comes to trying to, you know, resolve well, what's causing the situation, we don't say that it's us. We say, it's, why is that? that that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so the inner world creates the outer world. And yeah. uh, uh, if we uh, look in the outside and uh, put another person or, the, or judge them, we allow them the power over us. We don't mm. take control and accountability and responsibility for ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. We have a very strong tendency to give power away. And I don't think most of us realize we're doing it. No, there's a lack of uh, knowledge. It's not lack of self-knowledge, really. Yeah. And also a lack of understanding of just how powerful we are as creators. That's one that took me quite some time to come to grips with. Because... Just speaking for myself, from my own experience uh, in my younger years, I very often felt powerless. I very often believed that there were just so many things outside of my control. I could just control a few things and the rest of it was just up to the winds of fate. It, it, it was completely outside of my control. When I first learned about the law of attraction, I learned about it in the way that many people did by watching the movie The Secret. Um, and the first time I, I saw it, I said, yeah, right. <laughs> it took me a while to come to grips with it. But um up until that point, I was one of the many, many people out there who didn't realize I was creating my own reality. That that movie was opening my eyes and saying, you really are creating your own reality. I, and it took me a while to, even though I was presented with the information, it took me a while to come to grips with that. Because that, that's a big realization. So it took me also a long time to understand the manifestation process, which is uh, thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, and actions lead to results. And um, the um, 
will be things I will uh, be asking myself. Oh, I lack in knowledge. I have to learn this and this and uh, running away in the outside world instead of asking the right questions, but which will be the right questions at that moment in time. So uh, that's where the importance of uh, my coaches and mentors came in because um, everyone, uh, nobody can see its own blind uh, spots. So we need someone outside who is uh, telling us what they can hear and see while we are speaking. Uh, we just had a question pop up from Melissa, who's listening to us in the live stream. She has a question for you. She says, just wondering, has Andrea worked with clients on disordered eating patterns or addiction with hypnosis? Um, yes. So um, such uh, disorders have... Uh, Mostly, um, very painful past, uh, where their desires and needs were hurt and, um, it's a com- complementary reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So you've had, do you find this is a, 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 a very constant pattern among your clientele? Is it rare? Is it somewhere in the middle? Um, <laughs> It depends on the level where they are in because by law, uh, maybe um, they should visit a psychotherapist and go into hypnosis as an additional thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if it's uh, just at the beginning, uh, so we should have a greater look on it because if it's a psychological illness so we coaches are not allowed to to help right you have to identify whether or not it's the the, one of the best ways i ever had it explained to me was is it somebody who's trying to do therapy on the past or is it somebody who's trying to help move forward in in the present and into the future that's the difference between a therapist and a coach do you agree with that yes yes totally yeah. Even though the coach still has to take into account the past. I mean, that, that's part of what you have to know about, but it's not what you're trying to heal. Yes. So what, what you're, how would you describe what you're trying to do instead? Um, um, we have, um, scripts we can use. Um, and um, I will uh, have a look on the positive intention behind it because every behavior has a positive intention. And um, if we can solve it that way, so it's a way we can go together. And if not, um, there may be or will be a point where it will, it will be better to go into a therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some people who, who, like you said, they actually do both. They they go into the therapy to do that healing while at the same time working on their own mindset for their present lives and for where they want to be in their future lives. So you can actually do both at the same time. Yes, and it's very powerful. Do you think it's more powerful than doing either of them separately? Um. <laughs> It depends. There are different um, ways of psychotherapy and um, it can be long-term. And if we can mobilize some resources while working together, um, it can um, 
ha- uh, come much easier to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So potentially, uh, let's just put it that way. Potentially, it could be very effective putting the two together, which is good. That's if you have the resources where you can you know, afford to do that, then then it's worthwhile to pursue both paths at the same time. That's good. That's encouraging. So let's, let's see. Um, so you're, you're an NLP practitioner. You're uh, a hypnosis coach. Tell us a little bit more about your, your practice. Are, are there other areas of expertise that you bring into it or, or how do you, where, where do you spend most of your time with clients? Uh, so setting healthy boundaries, dealing with mm-hmm. a fear when it's not on a disease based, um, um, source, but, um, when I feel mentally or am stable, but, um, there are some, um, fears which uh, don't allow me to act. So, um, that's where I come often into place and by speaking out uh, the truth to find the true values and needs if we are not very clear. And especially in, uh, releasing old limiting beliefs. Mm, yeah. Those fears too. Fears are an interesting thing because we as human beings often don't want to acknowledge that they exist. And if we do acknowledge that they exist, we don't acknowledge what they are. And if we do acknowledge what they are, we don't acknowledge that they need to be worked on. And if we do acknowledge that they need to be worked on, we still don't want to work on them. We're really good at avoiding fears. <laughs> That's a typical pattern, avoid an avoidance pattern. That's right. <laughs> it's good to have but, a skill. Maybe not that one, but it's good to have a skill. <laughs> but uh, we have to understand that our, our whole nervous system is uh, hardwired for survival. And mm. uh, uh, if there is pain uh, in sight, it will do everything to protect us from it. Mm, yeah. It's a fascinating thing how far we will go to to protect ourselves by attaching ourselves to the thing that's painful. It sounds crazy to say that, but that's literally what we do. There are just two ways, um, either pain or pleasure. That's the programming deep within (laughs) us. So uh, the system chooses Always uh, the protection of pain over uh, the feeling of pleasure. Because first we need to survive and then we can uh, uh, feel some pleasure. And, and yet what's so odd about it is that we now live in a time where it's pretty rare for us to be chased by a cougar up a tree. I mean, that, that usually is not part of our everyday lives, but we still respond as if it were true. Yes, it's an evolutionary process, which is deep, deep within our subconscious mind. Mm, yeah. Now, and of course, the patterns but... are given away from one generation to another and uh, which are not reflected. And um, therefore, we have a deep rooted fears from some hundred years ago. That, that's very cool, because that's exactly what I was going to address. I said... I was going to start by saying now, of course, we have the, the, the problem of stuff that we inherit from parents and grandparents. You start talking about generational <laughs> stuff like, okay, this is good. I like this. We're on the same track, <laughs> same wavelength here. But this is big. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because I think that from my own experience, I found that I didn't necessarily know. Well, I thought I knew what my generational influences were. I found out that 
I was kind of right, kind of wrong. And the stuff that I was kind of right about, I really needed to be more right about it. If you know, know what I mean? I, I wasn't giving enough attention to it. I wasn't giving enough, um, respect to those generational influences. I, I now feel like I have a lot of respect for them and they can be very persistent, much more persistent than I would have expected. So, so to me, that's a surprise. One thing I haven't been able to figure out though, and maybe you can shed some light on this. How is it that we actually transmit it from generation to generation? Is it just through the experience of everyday environmental interaction with parents and children or, or, or is there more to it? A little part is uh, transferred through genetics and uh, a great part is uh, um, trans, uh, given while uh, we as children uh, um, love our parents and uh, we learn from them as we trust them and uh, what we see in their behavior, uh, we pick it up on a subconscious level and um it's um like um my parents love me and if i'm like they they will keep me it's a deep rooted uh thing within our psychic um which is here playing a role but i'm also thinking about uh for instance in my own family tree i'm thinking about my two grandfathers one of whom I knew, one of whom passed before I was born. The one who I knew had certain uh, behaviors and attitudes toward money that I can kind of see how I would pick that up in the, you know, the few times that I would interact with him. We didn't have a lot of interaction, but we had some. But my other grandfather has had influences on me that I'm just beginning to understand in the last year or two. And he died, let's see, 15 years before I was born. And I'm thinking, and, and, and it wasn't like my father, this is my father's father. It wasn't like my father had those same characteristics on an overt basis. So I'm wondering, how did my grandfather influence me when he wasn't even around when I was born? Mm-hmm. Um, from a systemic perspective, uh, um, everything uh, which we don't release, we give uh, to our, the next generation. And everything which we suppress and uh, don't speak about can come in one, two, three generations after uh, and pop up. And um, if there are some, um, uh, let's say, in, in a family happened things which were not right and they suppressed it or ignored it, um, it may be that we can find it that some next generations take their part and role. Or if um, there are families where some family members are um, ignored, uh, not given their attention and they cannot take in their place um, it also comes to some disruptions. In, in the last few years of my father's life, uh, he wrote a, a collection of short stories about his father and gave them to myself, my brother and my sister, so that we could have, you know, we, so that my, my grandfather could come to life in a sense, which was really, really helpful when it came later on to me wanting to work on my own stuff, because then I could read those stories and I could recognize patterns in my grandfather that also occurred 
in me, patterns I would not have otherwise known about. So I'm really grateful to my gut, my dad for having written those stories down. But I also think about people who didn't have that advantage of having the father writing the stories about the grandfather and the stuff gets passed along and they never actually find out where it came from. That, that, that to me is almost a bigger challenge. At least in my case, I knew where it came from. I could do something about it. I could recognize the pattern, but for somebody who doesn't have that advantage, that's a bigger challenge. Um, um, maybe I can uh, give another perspective due to C.G. Young. Um, so we have a conscious mind and we have a subconscious mind and uh, we have a personal subcon- uh, unconscious and then there's a, the field of the collective unconscious and mm. Behind that, there will be just a field of energy. And uh, in the field of collective uh, uh, unconsciousness, there is no me, you, the one out there. In that field, we are all one. And um, these thoughts pop up from bottom upwards. And um, that's how we uh, can also be influenced by it and find no logical reasoning for it. Yeah, Jung was a big uh, pioneer in the field of the collective consciousness, collective subconscious. Um, yeah, well, he pretty much established the field. I don't think it had even been described before that. So he was really the first. And his, his work has rung down through the ages. So many teachers, so many educators, researchers have relied on his work. It's really remarkable just how accurate it was considering that he really didn't have a whole lot to go on other than his own practice, his own clinical practice. And yet he was able to put together that understanding. Truly remarkable. So let's see, we've covered quite a bit. Um, we've covered, oh, tell, uh, well, we should also tell people, uh, anybody who's interested in actually pursuing some of the stuff regarding their own lives, uh, with somebody like you, we should tell them what's available. I mean, you, you offer coaching services. So tell people a little bit about your, your service. How do they find you? How do they reach out to you so they can have that information? And we'll include it in the show notes, but it's always good to have it from the person themselves. Yes. So I offer one-to-one coachings where I pick up people from where they are and lead them to where they want to go. Um, and, um, uh, I work with people most of the time in releasing limiting beliefs because uh, I believe if these filters go clearer, we we can see more clearly, act more clearly, and feel more clearly. And uh, I'm going to set up uh, also from soon, uh, twice a week, uh, where I want to teach people in how to change their state very quickly by using neuro-linguistic programming, uh, because I found out if we are in a position to really find ourselves stuck or in drained uh, energy or to to find as quick as possible a way out of it. And uh, I will offer that in a, um, let's say, discovery call or um, Mm one-day trainings uh, session. And if someone is interested and wants to work with me and go a little away of their life with me, so you can reach out to me uh, via email at the moment, which will be andrealukac.coaching at gmail.com. 
And we'll make sure that we include that in the show notes so people have that link. And, and you, I know you also are working on a website. So once that becomes available in the next few weeks, we'll make sure we get that into the show notes as well. But for the moment, at least they can reach you through the email. That's the most important thing right now. Something else, too. We have a few minutes left. I want to touch on this. It occurred to me earlier in the show, and then somehow it flitted out of my mind, but it just got it back. You came from and still are involved, I imagine, to some degree in the field of economics. And I think to the average person, there's not a natural connection between economics on the one hand and psychology, NLP, and so forth on the other hand. But it occurs to me there's actually quite a bit of overlap there. And I don't know what your experience has been. I'm kind of curious to know what it has been in that regard. But where do you find the overlap has been between what was originally your chosen field and what uh, field you have since uh, moved into? Um, so I believe that it, uh, psychology can be used in economics as well. Um, if we, uh, know how to direct our thoughts, how to prioritize our day based on values, how to bring clarity into a situation, how to set boundaries, which are often necessary because, uh, the to-do list is always big and, um, how to, um, be, um, in a more concentrated state than in this um, hurry and uh, fast movement, which is often uh, reality. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, uh, we overwork ourselves with no respect of uh, self-care so that we burn out or get into depressions. And if we can see the signs, uh, uh, at the right time, we can do something about it. That's really good. I, it also occurs to me that on the broader scale, economics is usually looked at in terms of, of what they often call macroeconomics or microeconomics, where we're trying to understand economic patterns. And uh, it brought to mind the fact that there is an Austrian economist uh, named Ludwig von Mises who wrote a book called Human Action. And human action was primarily about the role of humans in an economy and not just the role of humans, but the, but it included among other things, the psychological role of humans in an economy. And, and it occurs to me that if we thought about economics, economic issues and so forth in terms of how humans interact and how humans think and how humans feel and how, how they make their decisions in their everyday lives, it becomes an entirely different way of understanding economics. I, I'm just curious, have, have you found any ways to bridge those ideas together? Yes. So, um, uh, we humans are creatures of habit and, um, humans buy out of habit often. Uh, but, uh, in sales, we can, um, use psychology to uh, sell a feeling, not a product, uh, or a value, not not a product um, they are using. So, and um, the uh, acquisition of a customer would be a totally different based upon the values uh, of, of people and what they want and for what they seek. And to, to know that we have to uh, analyze the patterns and the thinking processes of humankind. Yeah, I studied quite a few of the Austrian economists um, in my earlier years, and I was fascinated by their con- conception of value, which you just hinted at right there. The idea that value, one, one of the, the most amazing concepts to me early on, was that value changes because people value things differently from one moment to the next. 
And when, when I started thinking about economic questions within the context of a whole range of people constantly shifting their values and their selections and their choices, all of a sudden economics became not just a diverse organism, but it became an active organism that was constantly growing and shifting and changing. It was no longer a static model. And it occurs to me that if more economists understood economics that way, I think we'd have an entirely different understanding of the field just by, just by, by grasping that piece of it. Yes, and uh, we wouldn't sell a product, but uh, we will render more use value. We will yeah. send some experiences uh, to humans and not um, just solely a product. Yeah, that's, and that's also part of where the modern ideas about uh, online marketing and so forth draw from. They draw from exactly that pattern right there, which is cool. This has been a very interesting hour getting to know you, Andrea, getting to know uh, your, your ideas, your conceptions. Thank you for spending time with us to, to share all this with us. Uh, and I also want to thank you on behalf of people. There, there are many people that people like you that um, never see, you never hear from, you never know what's going on in their lives, but they hear something that you say or they read something that you write or they're in some way influenced by something that you do and you never find out about it. But I like to make it a point to thank guests like you for doing what you do to reach people like that, even though you've never seen them, you never will see them, you never will hear from them, but you've affected them and helped them in their lives. So thank you on behalf of the unseen whom you have touched in so many ways. Yes, yeah, so it's such a pleasure to give something back to the world. And uh, it's a pleasure if someone can pick up something for, for themselves and turn it into reality. And have a much lighter, greater life for themselves. It's a beautiful thing. And thank you, Sam, for sharing the first track from your new album. How exciting that is. Definitely happy to do so. Thank you for sharing it um, through this platform. And I'm very happy to have music out there. And Andrea, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. I appreciate you sharing all your experience and perspective. It's been lovely. Yes, I was, uh, it was lovely being with you. So. All right. Very good. So thank you guys very much. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. And we will see you all next time here on LOA today. Goodbye, everybody.